Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. At this time, I'm going to invite uh, our Teen Challenge crew to come. They're going to share their stories with you, share some of their testimonies. We're excited to have them today. Come on up, guys. Good morning, church. Well, my name is Joe Rand, and uh, I've been serving at Adult and Teen Challenge in Massachusetts for the last 12 years in many different capacities. Today, I serve as senior director, which means I oversee our location that's in Brockton, as well as our men's campus that's located in Worcester. Uh, We were previously in Dorchester, and we moved to Worcester about a year and a half ago. And uh, I've been blessed to serve there for the last 12 years, but I've never had the opportunity to be at this church. And, uh, and so I was grateful that my schedule allowed me and I was able to come. Pastor Paul, thank you so much for having us. Um, I know we've come and you've been a faithful supporter all these years and we appreciate it. Um, what, a great, what a great morning I've already had. I mean, the, the worship team, when we got here, the worship team was practicing and we could hear them. We were out setting up our table out there and, uh, and we were excited to get in here. We had a time of prayer. And man, the Lord already spoke to me. The Lord, I'm already filled up. I'm ready to go. This morning has been great. It's been really awesome. Uh, we were talking before. There's just a special feeling at this church. There's a spirit of excellence. And I think, I think that spirit and that anointing that's in this place, it just allows people to connect uh, even more so to God. It removes distractions. And so uh, I know you're grateful for your leadership team, but I just want to from someone who travels around Massachusetts to different churches, I want to let you know that you have a pretty awesome leadership team here. And I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> Pastor Paul, Pastor Dylan, certainly. Well, if you're not aware, um, Adult and Teen Challenge, it's a, it's a 12 to 15 month program, a long-term residential program. That just means we, we take care of everyone's, uh, the men that are in our care, we take care of all their needs, whether it be physical, Um, psychological, you know, most importantly, though, spiritual um, as a faith-based program. We know that the need is is great. Um, If you don't know, overdose deaths in the last two years have increased by 44% across the United States. It's a staggering number. It should take your breath away. When you consider in the last 12 months, we've lost 108,000 people to overdose deaths in the United States. That's an entire city, a large city in Massachusetts, a little bit smaller than Lowell, um, but where we come from in Brockton, there's 109,000 people. And so we've lost an entire city over the last year. So what is Adult and Teen Challenge doing? Well, we have 10 centers and two programs across Teen Challenge New England and New Jersey, which is the organization that oversees us in Massachusetts, and our CEO, Pasco Manzo, um, leads the organization. And because our mission statement is to to bring life-changing hope to all addicts and their families, we have decided that we're going to extend past the approach we've always taken, which is long-term care, and we've opened a CSS, uh, Clinical Stabilization Services, a short-term program, as well as outpatient services in Massachusetts. And we did that because we had to, because we're losing ground, people are dying, and we want to reach all addicts 
and their families. And in order to do that, we needed to have more than one approach. But we still believe in the long-term model. We still believe that what men need are the long-term model. We're just hoping that the short-term model will introduce them to the long-term model and bring them in. And so that's really the goal there. We've been doing this for 60 plus years. We've we're, we're gotten pretty good at programming. We've gotten pretty good, good at scheduling. We have a schedule that really allows for medical care, clinical counseling. We do group counseling as well as individual. We have recovery coaching. We had eight or nine of our staff this year in Massachusetts all got certified and we continue to certify our staff in recovery coaching to just make them, equip them with more skills to help the residents in our care. We do life coaching at the end of the program. Um, an individual will go through life coaching that will help them set the direction, resume building, goal setting. Um, these are all really good things. Our staff are, are really, really well trained. Um, they do a great job and they love the residents uh, with all their hearts, but none of those things are really what makes the difference at Adult and Teen Challenge. The difference at Adult and Teen Challenge is the source. It's the power of Jesus Christ that's breaking chains from addiction. And although we do a lot of things well, the thing that we stay very close to and the thing that gives us the power is the anointing, is the, is the power of Jesus Christ. So we have a couple of testimonies here this morning to demonstrate the miracles that are happening at Adult and Teen Challenge. I brought with me Nick and Matt, and they're going to come up and they're going to share a couple testimonies of what God's doing in their life. So Nick's going to go first, and Matt, you can come up too. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm 28. I'm uh, from Lawrence, Massachusetts, right across the way. Um, so first and foremost, I want to say all the praise and glory goes to my uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without him, I wouldn't be here today. Um, I no longer have to be that sow that goes back to wallowing in the mud or uh, the dog that returns to its vomit. Uh, I'm a new creation in Christ. Um, my, my story's kind of crazy, so bear with me a little bit. Um, so I'm from Lawrence, Mass., uh, raised Irish Catholic. My father was uh, abusive to me and my mother. He was an alcoholic and a cocaine addict. Um, ever since I can remember, he would, he would come home, you know, drunk, in a, in a drunken rage, and uh, take it out on my mother. And I'd try and get in the middle of it, um, you know, to protect my mother. And, uh, you know, I'd get the brunt end of that. And it happened for a long time until I was about 17 years old. Uh, I left the house, went on my own. I'm um, starting to get into a lot of trouble, hanging around the wrong people, um, gangs, violence, drugs, you name it. Um, had my first sip of alcohol at 13. Uh, started smoking weed, um, pills, you know, um, and it eventually led to an IV fentanyl methamphetamine addiction. Um, I was pretty much like a human garbage disposal. I would put anything and everything in my body to not feel the way I was feeling. Um, I just, like, I, I wanted to escape reality. Um, and it, it just led down a, a horrible, horrible path of, uh, of destruction. I, I didn't know God at the time, so I didn't know that I could be saved. I, I thought, I, like, you know, my father would do all these things and, and put me down and say I was nothing and, and hit me. And that's what I thought, you know, my whole life, is that I would never be good enough. Um... So, you know, I found love in all the wrong places. 
Um, like I said, I ended up joining a gang at the age of 18, roughly. Um, I didn't know that later on down the line, um, it would affect my life drastically. Um, I ended up up and down the East Coast, in and out of uh, detoxes, um, getting locked up, incarcerated. Um, you know, and these, all these secular programs, I could find sobriety, but I could never sustain it. I could keep two, three years of clean time. I build up, get all the materialistic things anybody could want, the house, the car, the girl, and I would just willingly give it away. I didn't lose anything. I would give it away. Um, and it was all because I, I didn't know Christ. I didn't know that I could fill that void with God instead of using drugs, instead of using alcohol, the women, the cars. I didn't need any of that, you know? Um, so fast forward a little bit. I, I'm, I'm, you know, going through a rehab down in the state of Florida. Um, I get clean for the first time. I end up acquiring all these things in life that, you know, people want. Um, got a good career, uh, got the girl, got the house, was living in Fort Myers. Um, you know, my life was good. My life was good. From the outside, if anybody else was looking in, they'd say I'd have a good life, you know? But um, it just wasn't enough for me. Um, I kept running back to the same old thing. I was that dog returning to his vomit every time, you know? Uh, I would just pick up the needle again, and uh, I, I was off running. Um, and I ended, up, I ended up doing 52 months uh, in the Florida State Penitentiary. And it was just, it was, a bad, it was a bad hit for me. I mean, my family turned their back on me. Um, I didn't really have anybody to take care of me, send me money. Um, you know, that's all I cared about at the time was myself. Um, and it, it was just terrible. My, the lowest point I had... Um, you know, the violent charges that I was in on, I, I was considered high risk. So everywhere I went, I usually had two COs on me, and I was just like, you know, constantly fighting people, constantly threatening COs. So they threw me in uh, solitary confinement, which is, they call disciplinary confinement in the state of Florida. For eight months, I did, by myself, um, you know, come out, twice a week to shower for 45 minutes, make your phone call, order whatever you gotta order and shower. Um, you know, it was terrible. That's where my life had gone. Um, and it, I was lost, man, I was lost. And uh, I ended up opening up the Bible and the first thing I opened to was Luke 15. And it's the parable of the lost sheep. And it talks about God's unfailing love and his reckless love for us and how he will leave the 99 always to go and find the one. And that's what he did for me, you know. Um, I'm saved today. I don't have to worry about going back and doing those things. You know what I mean? I have, uh, I have brothers that love me. I have mentors, Tony, Pastor Anthony. Joe Rand, my brother Matt behind me, all these guys, they, they actually genuinely care for me. And this is what we get at Teen Challenge. We're a brotherhood. We're a discipleship. We build guys up. We don't break them down. We shower them with love, you know, something that none of us really got growing up, you know. Um, it's a great thing. I love this place. I'm so grateful today.
You know, I, I don't have to be out dope sick hustling for my next fix. Um, I'm just grateful today. I'm grateful for all of you. I love you guys and God bless. Thank you. Hey, y'all, good morning. Um, my name is Matthew Corbin. I'm 29 years old. Uh, I'm from Savannah, Georgia. Um, if you're looking for me after the service, I'll be the one in a jacket in 65 degree weather, okay? Um, they always make fun of me because I walked out one morning, there was a bunch of white stuff on the ground, and like I had to like double check myself because it was snow, and I was like, what the heck is going on, you know? Um, but my story, you know, we all go through darkness, um, and we all go, we all have a sin addiction, right? Um, but my story, my story was in the church, right? Um, my mom was a single mom of three boys, uh, and she had us in the church every weekend, right? Um, weekend after weekend. Um, and then as we got a little bit older, you know, my mom ended up marrying a man who on the outside, you know, looked so perfect. Um, he, had a, he had the business. He had, you know, a beautiful house on the water. Um, you know, everything that, you know, as the world looks looks to, that's what, that's what we think we should have. Um, but this was kind of my first experience with addiction, right? Um, he was a severe alcoholic, and uh, he would pop pills. Um, I'd watch him come home uh, from the bar. I would watch him hurt my mom. Um, I'd watch him hit her. I'd see them fight um, pretty much nightly. Um, and as my mom, you know, kind of receded back into herself, uh, she, she slipped into depression, bad depression. She began locking herself in her room, uh, sleeping a lot, you know, all the signs. Um, she became suicidal as well. Um, and then my stepdad, you know, in his anger and his hatred for her, uh, began turning his antics upon me. Um, he's hit me with fists, you know, many times, pots and pans, uh, rebar, you know, a couple times as well. Um, and I just, I experienced things that no kid should ever experience, and I, I wanted to... I wanted to run from that, and that was my problem. I always ran uh, from my problems, right? Um, so by the age of 11, I tried my first shot of alcohol. Uh, by 14, I was smoking marijuana. Uh, 18, when I went off to college, it was cocaine. Um, and by 23, I had tried pain pills, um, and that's where my life really hit the ground. Um, within six months, I was using heroin and fentanyl um, severely severely sick, and I was killing myself multiple times. Uh, in 2021, I overdosed seven times. Uh, two weeks before I came up here was kind of like a low point for me. Uh, well, it definitely was a low point for me, to say the least. Um, but I found my best friend, um, his name was Nicholas, and he was dead in my bathroom uh, from a fentanyl overdose. And when I found him, um, I remember he was blue in the face, and I tried everything that I could to get him to come back, right? Uh, I tried CPR. I hit him in the face multiple times, and I even sprayed water on him from the shower. And, you know, I got nothing. And all this is happening on a Sunday, a Sunday morning. And as, as this is going on, I kind of give up and I pick him up in a last-ditch effort, and he slumps over and then falls backwards. 
And I was like, that's it. And like immediately, the garage door opens up. Um, and my mom, is she's coming home from church that day. So I hear this and I run downstairs and I tell my mom, I fling her car door open, I say, Mom, Nicholas is dead. She like didn't believe me at first. She, I said, Mom, Nicholas is dead upstairs. She said, show me. She comes upstairs with me. She pushes the door open a little bit more. This little five foot tall Italian woman, fearless, she walks into that bathroom and I watch her pray. And over and over again, I watched her rebuke the spirit of death and the spirit of addiction in the name of Jesus Christ. And she said, Matthew, I want you to try CPR one more time. I go to put my hands on Nicholas. 15 seconds later, he breathed again. And it was... It was such a, such a terrifying but beautiful and, you know, just awe-inspiring experience. The next weekend, I was still so sick. I overdosed Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, literally on the way to detox. And here at this point, you know, I, I talk about my life scripture. My life scripture is Psalm 30, verse 5. In the very last part of it, it says... Weeping may stay for a night, uh, but joy comes in the morning, right? And that was what I experienced in my life. When I walked through the doors of Teen Challenge, my eyes were opened. I desired a relationship with Jesus. Um, I desired to love people. I desired to just be a part of a fellowship, of a community. And that love that was shown me, I'm able to show now as well. I just, amen, yeah. Amen. I finished the program two months ago. Um, I've stayed on as the church services coordinator as well. Um, I work you know, directly with Tony, directly with Joe, directly with Pastor Anthony. Um, I played the piano my whole life and I've seen God just like take that and you know, through my darkness and I stopped playing the piano for 10 years and then he brought everything back and I'm able to lead the guys in song and testimony, something that I'd never experienced like nothing that I would have ever thought I would be and I'm able to share testimony all over New England and do the same thing, you know, a, de a debaucherous man, a southerner, you know, and I know we're the worst of the worst, right? And, uh, but I'm, I'm here today and it's because churches like yourself, uh, you guys give monthly, you know, and it's, it's just truly amazing, you know. <clears throat> so, that's, you know, that's my light. That's my life now. Uh, today, you know, I wake up every day. I walk in the light. I walk in love. Um, and that's how I know God is a part of Teen Challenge. Um, it's his ministry is because it's, there's love, right? In First John, it says God is love. And so thank you all so much for having us. It's, it's very bright up here. I can't see anybody. Um, we had our, uh, my name's Tony Crew. I'm the program development supervisor at Adult and Teen Challenge. Uh, and my life has been drastically changed by Jesus Christ. Uh, the similar thing between all our stories is a broken home. 
I believe that the devil wants to break up a home. He wants to break up a family unit. And uh, that's what happened in my life. My biological dad was an addict. He would come home and beat my mom. And uh, he actually died of an overdose. And uh, my mother got remarried, and I always tried to seek acceptance. They had three kids. Uh, my my half-brother today is a uh, multimillionaire, so I always felt like the black sheep of the family. But um, the story I want to tell you today is about your pastor, and I don't know if he remembers this story, but um, he doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. I actually sent him a Facebook request three years ago, and he accepted it three days ago. <laughs> but, you know, that has nothing to do with anything that's going on today. <laughs> I apologize. This is your home. I apologize. This is my bad. <laughs> but we were at the uh, 400th anniversary in Plymouth, and uh, my stepdad runs a nonprofit rescue mission in Providence, and he was speaking. And uh, even coming to know Jesus Christ, overcoming addiction for 20 years, um, and walking with the Lord, I still struggled with acceptance. And I was sitting in that front row, and um, your pastor came up to me, and he said, look at your father. He's looking at you right now saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And um, that drastically changed my thinking of who Jesus Christ was. At that point, I changed my thinking of who my family was, and that I twisted my thinking, that I was angry at my mother for things my biological father did, that I didn't understand Jesus Christ on a level that he loved me on. So I just want to thank you, and uh, thank you for allowing the Lord to lead you in that way. And uh, you guys are very blessed to have the pastor you have. And so, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so, you know, my life has drastically changed today. I'm a recovery coach, as Joe said. I work closely with all the guys at Teen Challenge. And I take everything I learned today and surround myself with good people. And it all started with our president, Pasco Manzo, years ago by being obedient to the calling that he had and leading other men. And um, I started going to church with Pastor Scott Axman, who started leading me in a certain way. And when I came to Teen Challenge, it was uh, Pastor Anthony Pierre-Lewis. And so by one man's obedience, you see that it led down to me and to who I am today. So I'm forever grateful um, but before I have Pastor Anthony come up, I just want to uh, let you guys know, we have a carpentry shop, which you guys should have known about, because we always have a table set up, and if you don't have a cutting board, you're not in the inner circle. <laughs> so we, we do job training at our center uh, specifically. We have a culinary uh, department, we have a carpentry shop, and we teach guys job skills. And after they learn those job skills, we help them do job placement once they graduate the program. But in our carpentry shop, we build these nice boards. And this one has your church's name chiseled on it. <laughs> Pastor Anthony did this himself with his hands. But uh, this is, yeah, with his teeth. But uh, we want to just give you this just to say thank you for all you've done for us. And uh, your pastor's a hugger, Pastor Anthony isn't. 
He's, he's not COVID friendly. That's one thing you should know about him. Just dap him, don't shake his hand when you leave. But uh, you know, this man has been a key instrument in my I think that I just killed this thing. I think I just killed this thing. There it is. But uh, without further ado, Pastor Anthony. Good morning, everyone. No, I said, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Amen. Before I get into the word, I, I, I do have uh, to say two things. The, the reason he accepted your friend request is because he found out that you were connected to my wife's Facebook, so he was okay with that. So those of you who are waiting, if you send a friend request to my wife, you might end up becoming his friend. Amen? But my, my story with, uh, with Dr. Pastor Paul Conway and Diane goes way back, way back. Uh, next month, I'll be celebrating 24 years uh, since I gave my life to the Lord. And, um, and it was 23 years ago, I sat in a church. I remember exactly, I was in the third row, had pews back then. Some of you millennials, is that how you say it? And you teenagers have no idea what pews are, but the church had pews and, and I sat in the third row and I heard a message entitled The Cross. And, and I sat there and as the message was being preached, the preacher was building a cross. I mean, chopping away, there was wood chunks flying everywhere in the sanctuary and he talked about building a cross for an innocent man a man who did nothing else but good he healed the blind he healed the sick he fed multitudes he preached the good news of the gospel and he said he was building his cross as he's doing this whole monologue and he said the only reason i really got to build this cross is because if i don't build the cross i'm going to be on it and he was talking about building the cross for jesus christ and I remember he came down from the, the, the platform, and, and as he was walking side by side, he was pointing at people. He says, I'm building this cross, and it's your fault. An innocent man is going to die, and it's your fault. And then he said, your sin is going to nail him to that cross. And he locked eyes with me. The preacher locked eyes with me, and he pointed his finger at me, and instantly something inside of me, my spirit shattered, and I just began to cry. I'm, I'm not talking about a week where you just tap your eyes on the side. I mean, snots and everything was just flowing. And he reached into his pouch, and he threw, up, threw down nails, just threw them everywhere. And that was the altar call. And I ran up, I grabbed the nail, and I just stayed at the altar. And when I got up from the altar, there was only one person left in the church. It was about an hour later, everybody left. That message was preached by Pastor Paul Conway 23 years ago. I gave my life to the Lord on a message he preached. And, and so, um, so for me, I'm, I'm forever grateful that he was obedient to, uh, to what God placed on his heart that Sunday morning, and if nobody else received the word, it wasn't for them. It was for me, and 23 years later, I can stand here and say, thank you, Pastor Paul and Diane, for serving the kingdom of God through thick and thin. When you were on the mountaintop, when you were in the valley, you guys kept on serving Jesus, and so you guys are blessed. You really don't know how blessed you are. You're blessed, like really blessed. Amen? 
They're trying to figure out what blessed is. Blessed is B-L-E-S-S-E-D. It means you're highly favored and all that stuff. So God felt like blessing you with the greatest pastor in this area. So you should definitely, that's a good time to stand up and thank the Lord and give them a round of applause. Amen. And since you're standing, you can remain standing. If you have your Bibles, pull your Bibles out. If you have your cell phone, pull your cell phone out, your iPad, your laptop, whatever you brought, and let's hold it up nice and high. You can repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide his word inside of my heart that I might not sin against God. If the word of the Lord has transformed your life, let me hear you shout amen. 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 If you're able to remain standing, please stand. But if you need to sit down, feel free to sit down and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9. If you split the Bible in half and you hang a left, you'll find Samuel hanging out on 1st Street. If you guys have any issues or, or uh, struggles interpreting Ebonics, please see Pastor Paul after service because us New Yorkers have a certain language that only we understand. And we speak pinstripe, amen? Pinstripe. The Red Sox fans don't understand what pinstripe means. <laughs> you know? It's not our fault. That's what you call favor and blessing of the Lord <laughs> over the greatest city in America. New York, New York. So nice, God named us twice. <laughs> the Bible says there was a man from the tribe of Benjamin named Kish. Somebody say Kish. He was a son of Abiel, grandson of Zeor, the great-grandson of Bicharath, the great-great-grandson of Ahaph, a Benjamite of stalwart character. He had a son, Saul, a most handsome young man. When the Bible says you handsome, you are drop-dead handsome. If the Bible calls you handsome, that's it. That's it. It says Saul was the most handsome young man. Listen, there was none finer. You're not going to find that in any other version but the, the message version. It says there was none finer. He literally stood head and shoulders above the crowd. Some of Kish's donkeys, somebody say Kish. Donkeys got lost. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul took one of the servants and went to find the donkeys. They went into the hill country of Ephraim around Shalish, but didn't find them. Then they went to Shalim, no luck. Then to Jabin, and still nothing. When they got to Zuf, Saul said to the young man with him, enough of this, let's go back. Soon my father is going to forget about the donkeys and start worrying about us. He replied, not so fast. There's a holy man in this town. He carries a lot of weight around here. What he says is always right on the mark. Maybe he can tell us where to go. Saul said, if we, if we go, what do we have to give him? There's no more bread in our sacks. We've nothing to bring as a gift to the holy man. Do we have anything else? The servant spoke up. Look, I just happen to have this silver coin. I'll give it to the holy man, and he'll tell us how to proceed. Just take just relax. I'm not taking an offering for myself. 
In former times in Israel, a person who wanted to see God's word on the matter would, would say, let's see the seer, because the one, uh, the one we now call the prophet used to be called the seer. Good, said Saul, let's go. And they set off for the town where the holy man lived. As they were climbing up the hill into the town, they met some girls who were coming out to draw water. They said to them, is this where the seer lives? They answered, it sure is, just ahead, hurry up. He's come today because the people have prepared a sacrifice at the shrine. As soon as you enter the town, you can catch him before he goes up to the shrine to eat. The people won't eat until he arrives, for he has to bless the sacrifice. Only he can, only then can everyone eat. So get going, you're sure to find him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this moment in time. This moment is different than any other moment, Father. I just pray in the name of Jesus, in the power of his Holy Spirit, and in the power of his blood, Father, that you would be glorified, that Jesus would be lifted high, that the saints in this building would be edified, and Satan and all his demons will be horrified. I pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, and let me hear you shout amen. amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Now the book of Samuel records the transition in Israel from the period of the judges to the monarchy. This change in Israel's national life revolved mainly around three men. Somebody say three. Samuel, who was the last and great judge, Saul, Israel's first king, and David, whose early adventures before coming to power are tied in with the accounts of Samuel and Saul. The theme of this book, like that of other historical writings in the Old Testament is that faithfulness to God brings success. Disobedience brings disaster. I'll say it again. Faithfulness to God brings success and disobedience brings disaster. One of the many challenges that one might face while attempting to live for Christ as a Christian tends to revolve around the need to belong. And you hear that oftentimes in the Teen Challenge Men's story. They wanted to belong. They wanted to fit in. And so what happens is they become a Christian and still that challenge is there to still try to fit in. As you seek the Lord and serve the Lord, I believe that you will see great and mighty things take place in your lives. But in order for you to see these things take place, there must be a willing to be set apart. Somebody say set apart. One of the many ways to be set apart by God and for God's purposes is to be anointed by God. The definition of anointing is this. It's to smear, to smear or rub oil, typically as a part of a religious ceremony, to nominate, select, or choose someone as a successor to our leading candidate for a position, and it's to be separated from. So when you're anointed by God, you're separated. The body of Christ, the church, we are anointed by God, so we need to be separated. We need to be set apart from others. The anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit on a person's life, and that can only come from God. That's a good place for a clap. <laughs> it's his anointing, so that means he distributes it as he pleases. I know not any of you, but somebody, maybe not, maybe, maybe not you, but somebody sitting to your left or your right, tends to be like, how are they anointed? Who are they? Not anybody in your row, but maybe the row behind you. I've got news for you. 
When God chooses to anoint somebody, he doesn't call the board of directors. He doesn't have the angels gather. He's not calling on the CEO of any company. It's God's anointing, and he anoints whoever he wants, whether I like it or not, whether you have say so or not, so you can say, I can't believe that person's anointing. That's as far as it goes. God chose to anoint them. Amen? So you could just look at your neighbor and say, I am anointed no matter what you think. <laughs> the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, after the baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the Bible says the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and it settled on him. In Luke 14, 8, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me, somebody say anointed, to bring the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be free. We see even in the life of Christ that he too was not only baptized in water, but he was baptized by the Holy Spirit and he received the anointing of God upon him so that he could fulfill what the Father has called him to do. My assignment this morning is for me to unpack this particular passage and to pull out some truths within this text that will help us to seek God in such a way that would allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow on top of us, all inside of us, and out into the community. Amen? The Bible tells us the first Samuel chapter 16, uh, uh, God tells Samuel, he says, listen, fill your horn with oil and go down to Jesse's crib. My bad. For those of you who aren't multilingual, crib means house. So he tells Samuel to fill your horn. You just got that, right? Amen. <laughs> Pastor Paul, it's a New York thing they won't understand. He says, fill your horn with oil and go down to Jesse's crib slash house. And he says, you are to anoint the next king. So he does just that. He goes down to Jesse's crib, and when he gets there, he meets with Jesse, and, and Jesse brings out all of his sons. And the Bible says that Samuel holds the horn out. All the sons are moving by, and the oil does not flow. Oil does not flow. So he says, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You're not going to find this in your Bible. He says, Jesse, don't you got another son? He says, yeah, the little lad is out there tending to the sheep. He said, well, bring him in. We are not going to sit down till he shows up. Sure enough, David comes in. David smelling like sheep. You know what sheep smells like? Sheep smells like sheep. They don't smell like nothing else but sheep. So the Bible says that when David comes, they're all still standing. Samuel has the horn, and he pull, pours it out. I'm not going to mess up your carpet. There's nothing in here. And he pours it out and the anointing oil flows on David. The leak, the leak, what's the, like, least likely to be anointed. Could I tell you when the men come into Teen Challenge, they've been tossed aside. They're the David that I'm talking about. And when they come into the program, amen, God pours out his anointing oil upon them 
so that when they leave the program, they're able to have an impact in their homes. And once their homes are impacted, their church is radically transformed. And once their church is radically transformed, they're able to go out and pull other addicts out of addiction because God has anointed these men to do the very work that he's called them to do. Amen? I got a few quick points and then we'll be out of here. Point number one. As men and women of God, we must stand out. 1 Samuel 9, 1-2 says, There was a man from the tribe of Benjamin named Kish. He was the son of Abigail, the grandson of Zeor, the great-grandson of Bicharath, the great-great-grandson of Ahab, a Benjamite of stalwart character. He had a son, Saul, a most handsome young man. There was none finer. He literally stood head and shoulders above the crowd. In other words, Saul stood out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the King James Version says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The phrase peculiar people in 1 Peter 2.9 comes from the King James Version, and it's not seen in any other modern English translation. The word peculiar uh, was often used to refer to something belonging to someone as someone's property. You are a chosen generation. You are a peculiar people, chosen by God. And when you look up the word peculiar, it can have several meanings. And probably the most common usage of the word peculiar today refers to someone or something as strange or odd. That's not what he's talking about. We are not strange or odd people. I know sometimes we say, I'm going to paint the house all red because it represents the blood. That's, that's okay. I'm going to buy a red car, and red inside, red tires because it represents the blood. But we are not peculiar people. We are set apart. We are chosen by God. We are not weird. We are not strange. We are the trophy of Jesus Christ, and he has used us to display his marvelous light into a dark world. Amen? Peter's not saying that Christians are strange, odd, or unusual. What Peter is communicating to us is that Christians belong to God. We're his possession. We are set apart for God and to God. Another way of saying this is that Christians are God's own special, unique people. Church, we must stand out. Jesus stood out among the crowd. He was peculiar. He was set apart. He represented God, his Father, and as followers of Christ, we must stand out. People should be able to look at us and know that we're truly different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new uh, creation, a new creature. The old has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. King James says, Behold, the old is gone, and the new is here. There are two Greek words that are both usually translated as new. The first is neos, which signifies something that is new in respect of time, which is recent. It is frequently used of comparing younger people with older people. The second word is kainos. There's nothing worse than trying to say Greek and Hebrew words in front of a Greek or Hebrew scholar. Thank you. <laughs> Referring to something that is new as to quality of a different nature. I'm going to break that all down in English. 
How many people remember the 1979 Volkswagen, the, the, the Beetle? Amen. Those of us who are 45 and over. Now, if you had it in 79, you were, you were the bomb. The bomb for those of you, again, who don't speak, you know, Ebonics. The bomb means you had it. You, you had it going on. You were it. And so if you had the, the, the Volkswagen Beetle in 79, and then 1980 came, you got rid of the 79, and you got the 80. You got rid of the 80, and you got the 85. You got rid of the 85, and you got the 89. You got rid of the 89, and you got the 92. You got rid of the 92, and you got the 2000. Y'all following me? God is not at all interested. When we come into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, he's not looking to make an upgraded version of me. The Bible says that you are a new creature, something that has never, ever been created before, almost like Tesla. When Tesla came on the scene, it was simple. It was like, check it out. When you are a new creature in God, that's what happens. God says, check it out. When the men come into our program, they come in looking like caterpillars. And then they come into Teen Challenge, and Teen Challenge is like a cocoon, and, and they're in there for 12 to 15 months, and there's something that's taking place. God is transforming them from the inside out, and when they graduate the program, they stand on the stage, and they look like beautiful trophies, and you know what God says? Check it out. Now that word behold, B-E-H-O-L-D in the original Hebrew, it's spelled B-E-H-O-L-D, and it means behold. In the Greek, it's B-E-H-O-L-D, and it means behold. In Ebonics, it's C-H-E-C-K-I-T-O-U-T. Amen? When our men go back to their communities, that's what God says. Check it out. Look at what I've done in their lives. And it's the same God that's working in Teen Challenge can work in your life as well. He's not limited. He's not just in Teen Challenge. He's right here. He's right now. All you got to do is allow him, allow him to come in and transform your life from the inside out, and you will no longer look like a caterpillar. You will look like a beautiful butterfly, and everybody will be able to say, God did that. Check it out. Amen? Point number two. As followers of Christ, we must be willing to serve. 1 Samuel 9.3, some of Kish's donkeys got lost. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul took one of the servants and went to find the donkeys. The Bible tells us that Saul was set apart, yet the job his father gave him was minimal. He, was, he, he had servants, yet his father sent him to go get the donkeys. Imagine that. God has called you. He has anointed you. He has set you apart, yet you've been asked to clean the trash barrels in the church. How dare they ask me to do that? Nobody here, right? Nobody? Amen. You've been anointed, you've been set apart, you've been called by God, 
and they got you as the head deacon of the toilet bowl ministry. You've been anointed, you've been called by God, you've been set apart, yet they ask you to rake the leaves and shovel the snow in the parking lot. This is the type of job that Saul's father sent him to do. He was anointed, but he told him, go find the donkeys. Now, the only way to find a donkey is to follow its trail, right? Some of y'all will get that on the way home. <laughs> the Bible tells us that God called David to be king, yet he was working with the animals, feeding the sheep, and even cleaning up after them. Yet he was anointed to be king. Jesus was set apart. He was anointed, yet he said, I came to serve, not to be served. Jesus was set apart, yet he washed the feet of his disciples. A job that was assigned to maids and servants, that's what Jesus did. Saul was set apart, yet his father sent them to fetch the donkey. I've been kind of doing this for some time now, and I've come to realize that everybody wants pulpit time, but nobody wants toilet bowl time. Everybody wants to preach, but nobody wants to be the head usher. No, nobody here. Until we realize that the person that is standing behind the pulpit is just as valuable and important as the person that shows up at 7 o'clock to put the lights on, we are going to miss what God does in our lives as individuals. When the men come into the program, we, we call things service ministry, not dishes. You get to serve in the dish pit. You get to serve raking leaves. You get to serve wiping down the walls. Everything is served. Why? Because we want people to have the servant mindset. I've been to a thousand leadership conferences, but I've never been to one that says how to be a servant. 17 steps on how to be a servant. Amen? Let that never be the case in our lives. Let us always seek to serve the kingdom of God. Let us always seek to serve this house of God. Find something to do. If something needs to be cleaned, say, I'll volunteer to clean it. If something needs to be done, say, I'll volunteer to be done. Every single person in this building is valuable. And can I tell you, those are the jobs where characters develop. David wasn't going to be king until he was prepared to be king. And God chose him to deal with sheep before he chose him to deal with sheep. You'll get that on the way home too. We're sheep. All right, okay. <laughs> the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse, verse 1 through 6, it talks about, I'll read it to you really quick. You don't have to turn to it. It talks about a man named Stephen. It says, but as the believers uh, rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. 
We will give them this responsibility. Then, they, then, the apostles, uh, then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching. It says, everyone liked the idea, and those that were chosen were the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Pro, uh, Prochorus, Nicor, Timian, uh, Paramus, and Nicholas of Antioch. Those men were chosen. And the Bible says that the seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Imagine that. The Bible says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and the job they had him do, run the food pantry. So that tells me that we need the Holy Spirit to distribute out food. We need the Holy Spirit for every single thing in our lives. And so the Bible tells us that uh, Stephen was chosen to do that. That was his beginning. Then he, uh, 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 God uses him in mighty ways. If you keep reading chapter 6, he begins to heal people as he travels. And he begins to preach the gospel. In chapter 7, he finds himself standing before the council. And he's about to, you know, he's about to do time for preaching the good news. And so he takes that opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And he goes through the Old Testament and tells them about the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that they got so angry that they dragged them out and they stoned them. Stoned them. Let me clear that up. They threw rocks at them. I don't want anybody to leave here and say, Pastor Paul, it's in the Bible. But the beautiful thing is this. It says, as that was taking place, he saw the heavens open up. And he looked up, and the Bible says that he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. You won't read that in any other passage. It's almost like Jesus stood up and said, well done, pantry man. That was his beginning. Good job, toilet bowl man. Jesus was pleased with Stephen's life. Let us never look for the limelight, but always look to serve where God wants us to serve. Amen? Point number three. As followers of Christ, you must have a good brother or sister by your side. 1 Samuel 9, 3 to 5 says, when, the, when they got to Zuf, Saul said to the young man with him, enough of this, let's go back. Soon my father's going to forget about the donkeys and start worrying about us. He replied, not so fast. There's a, there's a holy man in this town. He carries a lot of weight around here. What he says is always right on the mark. Maybe he can tell us where to go. Between verses 3 and 6, Saul goes everywhere looking for the donkeys, and he simply can't locate the donkeys. So Saul wants to abort the mission. He wants to give up. He wants to throw the towel in. He's done. He comes up with a great idea. He says, let's go back because my father is going to be looking for us shortly. He's going to be worrying about us. Had Saul's servant not been there to encourage him and to support him and to even come up with the idea, Saul would have probably given up. You and I cannot succeed in the kingdom of God unless we have a solid support system. We will have very difficult times. And it's at those moments that we need people to come around us and to encourage us to keep moving on. If Saul didn't have that, he probably would have turned back. We got to find people that are serious about the things of God. Don't just find anybody. Say, Lord, send, send somebody into my life that's serious about your will and get those people around me so that I can continue on in this journey. Amen? Unless you have that person in your life, 
that's serious about the things of God, the chances are you might throw the towel in. The temptation to give up when things get tough will cause you to throw the towel in. Men come into our program all the time. The first, to me, the first 30 days are crucial. Difficult time because they're in their mind and they're like, what am I doing here? I need to get out of here. But there's men at the program that would encourage them and say, listen, I, I, did, I just did 30 days. I got over that speed bump. If I can do it, you can do it too. And they encourage each other and they help each other get through phase one. They help each other get through phase two and phase three and phase four. And then finally they stand on the, on the platform at phase five and they graduate together because it took one person to come alongside of somebody else. We can't do this alone, church. We got to have people by our side. Amen? Point number four, as followers of Christ, we must seek to get a word from God. 1 Samuel 9, verse 6, it says, He replied, not so fast as a holy man in this town. He carries a lot of weight around here. What he says is always right on mark. Maybe he can tell us where to go. According to uh, a June 9, uh, 2019 and 2020 research done by Barna Research Group, it says the most post-Christian city in America is Springfield, Holyoke. The research shows that the Northeast New England portion of the United States is the most post-Christian region in America. Webster's Dictionary defines post-Christian as the decline of Christianity as a majority religion. In other words, what they're saying is that the Christian religion in certain areas is on a decline. Barna bases their, their, their research on this. Those who disagree that the Bible is accurate. Those who have not read the Bible in, a la in the last week. Those who do not believe in God. Those that disagree that faith is important in their lives. Church, if their stats are even close to being correct, it's fair to say that not all of us in this room are reading the Word of God. That's if these stats are accurate. A large percentage of us sitting in here are not reading the Word of God. But I didn't come here to beat you up, I came here to build you up. You can start today. If you're struggling with your reading, start today. I mean, it's simple, all you gotta do is have the Bible talk to you on your phone. God has come up with a clever way to get us to hear his word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Just press play and let it read to you. Amen? I remember earlier on my Christian walk, I did struggle with reading the Bible, where one day went to three days, and three days went to five days, and five days went to seven days, and before you know it, I'm ten days in. Anybody? Anybody can relate? But I had to tell somebody. And I asked him to call me every single day and ask me, what did you read? What did God say to you out of his word? And they got me back on track. That's why it's important that we have people around us to help us in this walk. If you're struggling with your Bible reading, find somebody to call you every single day until you get back on track. Amen? Because God wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know about his promises and his word. He wants you to know how loved you are. He wants you to know every single thing, and it could be found in this word. Let's make Barna Research a liar, and let's turn this statistic around. God wants us to know exactly who he is. One of the many challenges when guys relapse and they come back into the program, and you sit down and you talk to them, you say, what happened? The first thing they tell you is, I stopped reading. I stopped going to church. This is the only place where morality is being preached. 
So we have to find ourselves in the house of God every single Sunday. We have to find ourselves in the house of God, connected to a small group. Do whatever you got to do to get God's word in you, to be around people who can feed you, to just sit around Christians. Because if we're in the world every single day, it's easily for us to become part of them. But let God build you up with his word so that when you are around other people and they need prayer, they might not say it in front of the whole crowd, but they might call you later on and say, hey, I'm going through something. I want to talk to you about it. And you get to share the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Point number five, and it's my last point. As followers of Christ, we must seek after the anointing. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, it says, then, Sam, uh, then Samuel took the flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Like I stated earlier, though conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus received both the baptism of the Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit as he embarked on his ministry. The greatest pattern for all of us to follow is that of Jesus Christ. The Bible says when he came out of the waters, the heavens opened up and the dove, the Holy Spirit came down on him. And then Jesus went on to say that the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. So if Jesus again needed it, how much more do we need it? We're talking about the son of God. We're just mere men and women. We need to seek after what Jesus obtained. I want to encourage you this morning to seek after that. Allow God to separate you, to fill you, to bless you with his power, with the Holy Spirit, to transform us from the inside out so that we can be an effective light to those who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love so much what you guys are doing with the beads because one thing we do with the guys is when, when the guys, we go out on choir, we get, we get information or whatever, we, we teach them how to pray for other people's prayer needs. So now the world doesn't revolve around them, it revolves around somebody else. So make sure you take those prayer beads and you pray for somebody else and you trust that God, by his divine sovereignty, will send missionaries right in those areas and it would be one of those things that started right here. Amen? And when we get to the other side, you could be able to say, I prayed for you, and this is the first time I'm meeting you. Amen. Thank you. Be blessed, and have an amazing day. Powerful from beginning to end, from the stories. Welcome back home. Welcome back home. What a miracle. I mean, it just, it, God doing something in somebody's life just, just by just, just trying to encourage someone else. Joe, taking you where you are now came from God taking you where you were and a leader of, of an entire region of Teen Challenge. The best is yet to come. Just like the New York Yankees. <laughs> just kidding. That's for us. <laughs> I just want to ask if you would bow your heads and hearts with me in prayer. And the worship team's going to lead us in, in, a, 
in a song. It's, I'll build my life. Bible says that two people came out to build and one of them, one of them built on sand and the other one built on rock. And then the, the, the interesting thing of the story is, is that no matter where you build your life, the storms come. And the wind blew, the waters rose. The house built on sand crashed, but the one built on the rock, built on the truth of Jesus as Lord, it stood the test. What are you building on this morning here? What storm is rocking your world? Do you have a, a son or daughter of addiction? Are you, are, do, are you in a home where hands that should be representing the example of love have turned into fists of rage? There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in Jesus Christ. I just want to pray a prayer over you that, that would just help us to be born again again. Those of you watching online, God's spirit and God's power isn't limited to this building, but it's not the same experience. And I encourage you to make it your mission to be here once or twice a month if you can do that. Um, on the other hand, for those of you maybe battling cancer, or you're immune compromised, it's, this is why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do. But I believe that God's spirit can reach right into whether you're watching this now whether you're in this building or whether you are watching this months later after it's recorded. God wants to anoint you. He, he doesn't just want to save you. He wants to, he wants to task you. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. There's nobody like you that, that's going to come along. He's not looking for someone else. He, he wants you. And we have to make ourselves available to him. So right now, if you just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Take my fears. Take my anxiety. And turn my heart and hope to the Holy Spirit, to the work you did on the cross. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my problems. The storms are going to come. But I want my life on the rock. I believe with all my heart, you just made an address change in your thinking. And sometimes, especially those of you that have grown up in the church or been in church for a long time, sometimes we, we, we need to get back to First Street. We need to get back because we, we, we lift our house and we move it on sand and we begin to think if I have more money, if I have more uh, time, if I have more kids, if I just get married, if I just get this, that, or the other thing. And in the end, really, what you needed all along was Jesus. See, Jesus isn't trying to withhold any of those things from you. He's trying to make sure that you can hold on to those things because if you, you get what you're looking for, be careful what you chase because you might catch it. But if you build it on the rock, God will give you these things and so much more. So as we stand, if you would, across this room, and we sing this song, I, I, I just want you to do an address change with it. And let God anoint your life and let your, your heart and your home be a place where people can hear from God.
God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Can we just give appreciation and applause to these guys? Amazing. Each of you, just amazing. Thank you. Thank you.
Listen, you are known and loved by God. Sometimes, what a ridiculous idea to think that you have to get yourself together in order to get yourself to God. God wants to take you faults and all, mess and all. You continue to build your life on his love, no matter how ugly you think it looks, no matter how warped the wood seems, and you remember that you are chosen and loved by God. You are anointed by him. You are not an accident. You are not defective. You are designed. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. There's no one else like you. He loves you and we love you. So grateful for you being here today. We're gonna have the worship team just continue to lightly play and, and uh, you're welcome to find space with God. I encourage all of you to go back and purchase one of those uh, things that they have. I think they got maple syrup, they've got boards, they've got all those kind of things. All of that gets to, to build this that you saw today. And we continue through your faith promises, we continue to give to this as well. And so in the next few weeks, when in two, three Sundays from now, this Sunday, the next and the other, we're gonna come together and by faith, we're gonna make monthly pledges to believe that we can expand that back wall as our economy contracts and that God would multiply blessing to us for the reasons that Pastor Dylan mentioned of why we give, why we give. We do it because of the gospel. So Father, thank you for what you've done. We give, Lord, this time of praise back to you. We give the time of connections that people will have. And we give you our week as we work and we do, allowing you to build in our life what you choose. Anoint us. Surround us with the right people. Help us to pursue that anointing. And help us, oh God, to just simply move in that anointing, regardless of what anyone would think, say, or feel. We want our lives to bless, not to impress. And we pray this in Jesus' name. for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you, and God bless.